The Game Show Family Feud has been on TV since about 1976, on and off, and I'm sure at some time in your life, all of us have seen it. And so I was looking at some uh, of the recent uh, answers that have been given on different Family Feud shows when people were asked a question. Now, again, sometimes these folks are having to make a split-second answer, and they don't always get it right. But anyway, so so today we're going to do just a little exercise, and I'm going to ask the question, and then you get to yell out your answer, okay? So name something made of wool. Clothing, Clothing yep. Sweater, coat, sheets, blankets. All right. So, so this person, when they were asked, name something made of wool, they answered sheep. All right. How about this one? Name a yellow fruit. Banana. Banana. <laughs> Somebody heard my message this morning. So anyway, the answer, someone put as their answer orange. So anyway, they actually did put that as their answer to what's a yellow fruit. Uh, what about this one? What might a blind date forget to tell about themselves? That they're blind. That was somebody's answer. Yeah. But my favorite one was this one. Give a boy's name that starts with the letter H. Hector. Did somebody say Jose? That was what somebody, somebody put that. Their answer was Jose. So anyway, I thought, well, you know, when we think about our life for Christ, there's some questions that we need to be able to answer. As as you look at your life today, sometimes when I'm trying to share the importance of a relationship with God with someone, I'll ask them a question something like this. If you die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And they'll answer yes, no, maybe somewhere, I think so, maybe not. And then I may follow up with a question like this. If you were to stand and before God at the gates of heaven today, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And I've seen and heard all kinds of answers all over the board from, I'm a good person, I'm nice to my kids, I work hard and do all of these kinds of things. Are you ready to answer that question? I mean, if something happened tragically today, and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? You ever thought about that question before? The truth of the matter is, is that for all of us, we have thought things or said things or done things that have disqualified us from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. So trying to make my good outweigh my bad or trying to be nice and help little old ladies across the street and paying my bills on time and being good to my spouse and my kids... Those are all good things. The problem is, is with all of the bad things. And God can't let you into heaven with all of the bad stuff, all the sin attached to your life. For those of you who've come to know Jesus Christ personally, and you have experienced forgiveness and eternal life, if someone was to ask you, why do you feel like you have hope today? What would your answer be? Peter challenges us today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 and following to live for Jesus 
and be ready to answer why we have hope in Jesus. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 13. And we are going to think about that, that exact thing. On our challenge is to live for Jesus and then to be able to answer and articulate, why do you have hope? Why do you have hope in Jesus? So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 13. It says this, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who, uh, to everyone who gives you or asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And with that, let's pray. Uh, God, would you speak to us today? And would you challenge us to be able to answer the question on why we should get into heaven and how we can share hope with others? In your name, amen. In the first century, it was a very idolatrous and immoral uh, society. It was not uncommon uh, for men to be involved in very immoral relationships with multitudes of women. It was not uh, unusual for people to have all kinds of idols and worship all kinds of idols and even have their own household idols that they would worship and then they would go to different temples to worship different gods and goddesses. But when people came to know Jesus Christ and they came to understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and rose again from the dead, and when they came to receive Christ in their life and receive his forgiveness, their life went in 180 degrees uh, different. They were walking in this pagan, immoral culture, and then they have their eyes opened up to the truth of Jesus, and they turn around and think, you know what, I'm not going to be an idol worshiper anymore. I'm going to say yes to Jesus every day. I'm not going to involve myself in immorality anymore. I'm going to say yes to Jesus every day. And so in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, you need to be able to, to give a reason for the hope that you have because all the people that are walking this way and they're immersed fully in culture, they're not going to know and understand why you now say that you live for Jesus. So you need to be ready to give an answer, a defense for the truth that you know about God. But I think in 1 Peter 3, 15, at the beginning of that verse, it really sets the tone for this whole passage where it says this, that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. The word sanctify there means to set apart. That means of all the things in our life, all the different activities in which we are involved, all of the possessions we own, all of the education or vocation in which we are seeking and achieving, there's one central person who's there to be the primary person that we look to in all of our needs and, in, and provide him with all of our worship, and that is the Lord. We are to sanctify him, set him apart. He's to be number one. 
And so as we think about the Lord being number one in our life, he then, I think, surrounds us with this thought of, if we're going to give an answer on how we uh, and why we believe in Jesus, then people first off have to see, I once was walking in the culture and following the idolatry or following the materialism or jumping into the worldly wisdom or, or uh, uh, acting like the culture. Now that I've turned around, the first thing is that they need to see something differently in me. And as they see something differently in me, then they're going to ask me about why I believe. So we have three challenges today as we think about that. First off, I think the challenge is is that we need to submit wholeheartedly to the Lord. We need to submit to him. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts means that he's number one and I'm under his authority and I'm going to live and walk according to the path which he has for me. What does this path involve? Well, notice the rhetorical question in verse number 13. Notice this, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. And he says this, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? As we submit wholeheartedly to the Lord, we need to live, pa- live passionately for good. We need to live and to seek good. Who's going to harm you if you do what is good? Now notice back up in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. It tells us there that the eyes of the Lord and the ears of the Lord are open to the righteous. That his, the eyes of the Lord are open on the, on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Who's going to harm us if we seek to do good? Well, God is not. He's watching us. He's listening to us. He's paying attention to us. His protective hand is upon us. As we seek to live for good, many in our culture are not going to cause us harm. As we seek to show love and joy and peace and patience, the fruit of the Spirit, as we seek to live with integrity and honesty, there are going to be many who appreciate all of those things that we show in our life. What it is, is as I submit to God and his leadership in in my life, then the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life, and the Holy Spirit then works through my life so that I can show love to the unloving and unlovely and the unlovable that I can have joy even when I face the challenges and the stresses and the transitions of life, that I can have peace even when it's my day to go to the doctor, even when my bills are really tight. So he's saying as I'm living, I can live under God's authority and seek to live and show his goodness and love through my life. And most people are going to be happy to live with someone who has integrity. But remember, Jesus. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus healed and preached and taught. He raised people from the dead. He opened blind eyes. And still, Jesus was rejected. So this is not a guarantee that everything is going to turn out right because we live for good. Because he says and uses in verse number 14, that contrasting conjunction. Notice the word but. In verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, suffer for righteousness sake. 
As you seek to live and do what's good, sometimes there are going to be people who, even though you're trying to do right and trying to do good, are going to oppose you. They're going to seek to hurt you. They're going to persecute you. And so Peter says that you are to live persistently in persecution, that you're to live persistently. He's saying, look, don't let people stop you from doing good. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Instead, you need to press on passionately doing good and persistently, even if there's persecution. We can't, as believers, say this. Man, I tried to do good to somebody and they hurt me, so I'm just not going to do good anymore. I was generous to somebody and they took advantage of me. So from now on, I'm going to be stingy. That doesn't work. Notice what it says in verse number 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, it reminds us that we are more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus, even though people persecuted him and hurt him, he still showed goodness and kindness and love and mercy and forgiveness. And he still did miracles, even for people and even with people all around who despised him for it. So that we can't just say, I tried to live good once and look what it did for me. I tried to give and help somebody out once, and now I'm not doing it anymore because that person, you know, took my 20 bucks and they went and blew it and spent it somewhere else. I have to admit, someone stopped by recently and and here at the church, and and they needed gas money, and they had a story, and uh, honestly, I thought, yeah, I think they're being honest, but I've never done this before, but I'm going to follow them. So I followed them. They went right over to QT, and they put gas in their car. And I thought, Lord, thank you that we could be benevolent and kind and help someone get down the road a little further. But there are times that in my own life, I've given a money to someone and man, I watched them walk the other way from what they told me they were going to use it for and need it for. But that can't stop us from being generous and kind. Why? Because when we're generous and kind, we're blessed. When we get hard-hearted and cynical and think, I'm not going to help anybody anymore. I'm going to hold on to all my money. I'm not going to be nice. I'm not going to be kind. I'm just going to walk around with my head down and mind my own business. Guess what? We lose the blessing of God. And losing the blessing of God is far worse than losing 20 bucks. So live persistently in persecution. Don't stop. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. This is what you have to look forward to. And then he says, and blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake, but rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Listen, If we face persecution, if we face people taking advantage of us when we're seeking to be kind, the Bible tells us that we're blessed now. We can have an inner peace and experience that now. And we get to experience heaven and the rewards that come with that forever. So don't quit being kind. Don't quit being good. Don't quit being generous. Be persistent even when people despise you. Be passionate about good. 
Thirdly, I think we see in this passage again, back at verse number 15, where it tells us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts that we are to live, live primarily for Jesus. Live primarily for Jesus. To sanctify the Lord God in our hearts or to put Christ on the throne of our life gives us the picture that he is first. Do not let other gods rival the sanctified, set-apart Jesus who's to sit on the throne of your life. Don't let other gods invade the sanctuary of your heart so that you give in to possessions and material accumulation. Or that you say, I'm going to put the Lord on the back burner and I'm going to pursue education or job or, or I'm going to, to accumulate or I'm going to delve into worldly wisdom. He says, set God apart. Let the Lord be first in your life no matter what. That's the key to blessing. He's saying, look, if you want the key to blessing in your life, it's putting the Lord first. When we put the Lord last, then we don't experience that blessing. So when someone gets married, they come down this aisle and, and if they're married here, and, and they make a vow that forsaking all others, they're going to be faithful to each other. Far greater than making a vow to another person in marriage, and as sacred as that is, it's that vow that says, forsaking anything, I'm going to put Jesus first in my life. That's really what he's talking about. Jesus is the center. And listen, that's convicting. Because that's not just a one-day decision. That's a moment-by-moment decision. Am I going to listen to Jesus? Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to obey Jesus? Am I going to say yes to Jesus? Even when I don't feel like it. Even when someone's being ugly. Even when someone's taking advantage of me. Even when life is hard. Even when someone teases, I'm going to live passionately and persistently for good and put Jesus first. Because here's the truth. And if you miss everything else, just, just catch this. It doesn't make any difference in this life who you please if you displease the Lord. And it doesn't make any difference who you displease if you please the Lord. He is to be first in our life. Submit wholeheartedly to him. Then we not only submit wholeheartedly. Listen, the culture's going this direction. We turn, we say we're going to live and show good even when they persecute against us. And we're going to put Jesus first and we're going to pursue goodness and kindness and love and walk with Jesus every step of the way. Then we need to take that a step further and we speak truthfully for the Lord. Notice what he says in verse number 15. He says that we're to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now it's the time to speak. When someone says, hey, you were living this way, you were walking this way, now you're walking this way, what's going on? What's different about you? Why do you have hope? Why do you have peace when you're being wheeled into surgery? Why, why can you be optimistic when your finances are in trouble? The reason is Jesus. So here's the key. As we speak truthfully, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. He says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. Be ready. People are going to ask you. Can I ask you today, can you articulate how you came to know Jesus Christ? Can you articulate that? 
If someone said, hey, I, I want uh, to know what happened in your life. Could you articulate that? Years ago before, uh, in, in, a, in a church in the south, I was teaching uh, some middle school boys. And I brought in a handgun. All right, this is 30 years ago, so it wasn't quite as crazy as it is today. But follow me. I pulled the cartridge out. I, uh, it, was, it was empty. But I laid it on the table. And I said this. If I tell you I'm going to shoot myself in five minutes and kill myself, and you're the last person I had to talk to, can you give me hope? That got some boys talking. And the truth of the matter is, is when you look across the landscape of your life, there may not be people who are on the edge and, and push that far. But there are people that are looking for hope. There are people that are looking for answers. There are people that are desperate to know What's going on in your life? What makes you different? You need to be ready. Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Why do you believe that there's even a God? Can you answer some of these questions? That's what he's saying. Be ready to give a defense. Can I tell you, your best defense, for many of us, our best defense is our personal story that says, Jesus changed my life. You can't argue with someone's personal testimony. That I was walking in one direction and the Lord saved me and now I want to show love and goodness to others. Be ready. But not only are we be ready, but we're to be gentle. He says that we're to share and to speak with meekness and fear. The word meekness there gives a picture of being gentle. Some... Missionaries came to our door a few years ago and knocked on the door and uh, they had their opinions and I took scripture and shared mine. And can I tell you, I just got fired up in the process. I wasn't meaning to get fired up necessarily, but I just got fired up. I got excited about uh, showing and sharing what I believed about Jesus and who he is and who he was and how he was full deity and how he died on the cross and rose again. He's the only way of salvation. And I got fired up. And though I feel like I won the battle, I'm not certain I was gentle enough to win the war for their souls. We don't come across arrogantly. We're not know-it-alls. We come across with gentleness, with meekness, with a sense of humility. Listen, we come across with confidence. We believe Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes comes to the Father, but through him, we believe that wholeheartedly. We have, have driven that stake down in our life, and, and, and no one's going to talk me out of that. But we have to do that with humility and gentleness. Not only that, we need to do it, it says, with meekness and fear. We need to be respectful. We need to be respectful. The picture is here, and it's, it's kind of a cool word. He says, with meekness and fear. The word fear is the word phobos, which we get our word phobia from. 
But here, it's not talking about something like, boo, I'm afraid, you know. It's, it's more like a sense of awe and reverence. So here's the truth of the matter. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, anytime you get to speak about Jesus, it's a moment of awe and a moment of reverence and a moment of holy fear. Because we get to reflect how God changed my life. Lord, thank you. God, thank you I can share this. This is a reverent and an awe-inspired moment. God, this is amazing that you've changed my life, and now I get to share that with someone. I mean, sometimes we feel like, man, you've got to witness out of duty, out of duty, and, and even if you don't want to, here's the picture. You have the opportunity to stand as an ambassador for the awe-inspiring God who created the billions of stars, knows all the people of the whole wide world, knows everything that's going on all at the same time, down to the numbers of hairs on every person's head, down to the, the each cell in our body. He knows everything about us. And we get to talk about him as a friend and as a savior. That's awesome. And we cannot lose the awe of that. So we speak truthfully for the Lord. Speak the truth. But we speak it, as Ephesians 4 tells us, in love. We speak it with a sense of reverence and awe at who he is. We don't have to pound people over the head. We can rest in confidence. God did not, listen, God did not call you to be a prosecutor. He called you to be a witness. So you don't have to fire everything, open up all the cannons, and go for someone's jugular to try to, to shrimp them down to feel like they're losers. You can win that battle. But our goal is to share the truth so that maybe, if not then, their eyes will be open to the truth. If you could just plant a seed and have someone water, 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 that one day that can produce a crop. We are to speak truthfully. So we're living for Jesus. We're going one direction. We're turning this way. We're living for Jesus and speaking the truth about Jesus. But notice what it says in the next verse, that we are to do that with the right kind of conscience. Notice what it says in verse number 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. It's interesting, the word conscience that's used there. Your conscience is an internal mechanism that, that can accuse or excuse you. It can convict you or affirm you. Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio said, you know, the song says... Uh, you, you always uh, uh, let a little whistle, and he says, and always let your conscience be your guide. Can I tell you, your conscience may be a terrible guide. Your conscience is like a window. It's an internal mechanism, but it's like a window. And as you take the light of God's word into your life, that window can, can illuminate the truth of God and show you and, and, and work in you with the Holy Spirit, say, this is wrong. Don't go there. Don't do this. Or the, your conscience can say, yes, that's right. Even though everybody else thinks you're wrong, yes, you're right. But 
The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15 that our conscience can be defiled. That just like a window over time, it can get dirty and it blocks some of the light that comes in. If we quit listening to God, if we say no to God, if we exalt self, that window gets dirty. And as the window gets dirty, it not only comes to a point where we get our defiled in our conscience and dirty in our conscience, and we can excuse things and, and rationalize things and think, oh, it's not that bad, it's okay. He's saying, look, you got to have a good conscience. And having a good conscience means, as I look at my life, I'm walking and doing right. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 2, it says that your conscience can be seared, which is like if you would take a hot iron and drop it on your skin, you could lose the feeling and the touch, and your conscience can get where you don't feel it anymore. Your conscience can get to a point where it's seared, and the sensitivity of God working in your life is no more. And Hebrews chapter 10 says that your conscience can even get to the point where it's evil. I, it's the, kind of the illustration of this. A guy goes to jail for robbing a bank. And he feels guilty because he squeals on one of his friends, but he doesn't feel guilty about robbing the bank. That's how our conscience get all messed up. I feel guilty. My conscience is burned because I squealed on my friend, but I don't feel bad about robbing the bank at all. So when he talks about your conscience and he, and he lays that out for us, the truth is, is that we need to live peacefully in the Lord. That our conscience needs to be right. Our conscience needs to affirm us and say, you're doing right. You're moving the right way. And when my, whole, the, uh, my conscience and the work of the Holy Spirit works together in my life, it gives me courage to say yes to God and speak for God. It gives me courage to move forward with God. It gives me the strength to say, this is right, and this is the way that you walk. Warren Wearsby said that Christians should never suffer for doing wrong. We just shouldn't be there. We, we shouldn't suffer for evil doing. As believers, we should be seeking to live and to do what's right. But he says this, no Christian should be surprised if he suffers for well-doing. That's 1 Peter 3, 17. For it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. But when I say, look, I'm not walking this way anymore. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I, I, I'm going against the flow. I'm going against the current. I'm going to live for him, put him first in my life. And when I move in that direction, and, and, and then people say, hey, why, why do you live different? Why do you speak different? Why do you act different? Then I'm ready to give the answer of the hope that's in me. It's Jesus. And I do that with a good conscience, knowing that my walk with him is clear, that I'm forgiven of all of my sin, that he's working in my life, and I can do that with great peace and great strength. Let me ask you, just like I did with some seventh grade boys 30 years ago. If you were the last person to speak with your coworker or your neighbor or your spouse or your brother or sister to share the hope that's in you, 
Are you ready? Are you ready? But let's take a step back even, even from that. If you had to stand before God today and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Is that a question you're ready to answer? That's life's most important question. Are you ready to answer it? And with that, let's take a minute and pray. I want to ask you today, do do you know you're ready? Do, Do you know that if you died today, that you'd go to heaven? Do do you know what you'd say if God said, why why should I let you into heaven? I've seen the thoughts you've had. I've listened to the words you said. I've watched your actions enough to know that you're not perfect. And Matthew 5.48 tells us that we have to be perfect just as our Father in heaven is perfect if we're going to make it to heaven on our own. So do you know what you'd say? If you don't know today and you say, that's a question I really just need to nail down today. I, I don't do this every week, but, but today I, I just want to do this. I want to invite you. If you would say, look, I, I need to know how to answer that question. This is the answer. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin. And he rose again. And now, when we receive him in our life, he takes all that sin and he forgives all of it and wipes it away and gives us a fresh new walk in him. Do you have that? Do you feel like you want that today? Would you in your heart pray a prayer something like this? Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I've broken your laws. I've said things, thought things, done things that are displeasing to you. I do not deserve heaven on my own. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And Jesus rose again from the dead. I believe he's alive. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Jesus, come in. And then you can just say, Jesus, thank you. That when I call on your name, you answer, thank you for coming in. If you've never received Jesus in your life, that's the key today. For those of you who are believers today, I want to ask you, has the Lord laid someone in particular on your heart and mind today. We are now into the month of November. At the end of this month at Thanksgiving, you're going to come across family members and friends. As we step into December, there's going to be co-workers and company parties and get-togethers. Is the Lord laying someone in particular on your heart that you need to be ready to share Jesus with? Would you pray for that person today? And would you just make that as part of your daily prayer life to say, Jesus, help me to speak the truth in love about your salvation. Lord, I pray that you take these next moments of invitation. God, that you would speak and that you would move. 
Lord, if there's someone today who really just needs to nail down that decision to receive Jesus in their life, or if there's someone today who needs to just come and and pray or pray at their seat over someone who needs to know Jesus, God, would you move in their heart today? In your name, amen.